or welcome back. This is episode 18 of season one in the Primrose Chronicles podcast series. I'm your host and narrator of these tales, Marty Young. The title of this installment sounds like a riddle of sorts, circles, triangles, and square boxes. And the subtitle sounds like a spicy expose, Confessions of a Pizza Delivery Boy. I'll leave it to you, the listener, to decide whether it falls into either genre. What I do hope to do is to move finally from the three chapters of tales surrounding the State Fair that I shared in the last two weeks into, chronologically, the next chapter in my teen work experience as a transporter of that common Italian cuisine, the pizza. Hmm, transporter of Italian cuisine. I wish I'd developed that title when I was young. It certainly would have made an impressive resume edition for future job apps, but I didn't. And so, today, I feel led by comments and encouragement of TPC fans to depict in some detail my last year and a half before college when I delivered said pizza. First for Randy's, and then for Jack's, to-your-door pizza. In today's culture... Everything is delivered to your home by services like DoorDash and Grubhub and Uber Eats. Younger listeners might be surprised to know that in the late 50s and into the 60s, the sole item you could receive at your doorstep was pizza. As I reflect on this truth, I realize that I was a pioneer. One of the first who carried hot food to the masses who need only place the order by phone, be willing to wait a half an hour, and then answer the door exchanging a few bucks for a dough crust topped with tomato paste, mozzarella cheese, and your choice of toppings. It was pre-cut and all in a white paper bag. I was a trailblazer in the world of fast food, before drive throughs but not drive-ins, and I stumbled into it unexpectedly. But once... I was in the local platoon of delivery drivers, young and old. I embraced it wholeheartedly. You see, classes for my senior year of high school began right after the close of the fair, the Beatles Fair, as it came to be called, and I milked my paycheck from the fair board for as long as I could. In addition, I began a chauffeuring service of sorts, taking as many as six guys to school by means of my 1948 two-door Plymouth that I speak of way back in episode two. I did so, not because I was a great guy and a wonderful classmate. Nope. I charged each passenger a nickel away a day, 50 cents a week, for which I promised them a seat inside, some on the bench seat, some on the floor, and agreed to at least slow down to allow them to exit the vehicle, stepping off the running board when I rolled past their house. That provided me lunch money for a daily portion of two cups of mashed potatoes and gravy, a couple of milks, and a dessert, all for about 35 cents, providing a basically nutritious, or at least filling, Broderbill High School cafeteria fare. With Dad appreciating my entrepreneurial spirit, gas for my beast was covered. And so for a while into the fall, at least until fair employment monies dried out completely, I was getting by. Then... A new and unusual means of livelihood was brought to my attention. I think my dad put me onto it because he had been in the pizzeria at 42nd and College checking out the gas lines on the ovens of Randy's to your door pizza. He talked with the owner as he performed his magic as an appliance repairman for Citizens Gas and Coke Utility Company. Most small food establishments willingly offered him future meals or entrees to express their thanks for his getting them up and running before the dinner rush. This time, 
While he may have gotten a coupon for his pizza, he also came home with a lead. The pizza place was looking for drivers, and Dad thought I should go in and apply. Who knew where it could lead? So I headed on down there just to make sure that I wouldn't be rightfully accused of not really looking for work and have my gas allowance cut off. I remember filling out in pencil a pretty standard application, very broad in its allowances. Had I ever been convicted of a felony? Was I still on parole? Do I have a valid driver's license without a lot of points for violations? Did I have references if they wanted to check them? Did I have or had I ever had tuberculosis or typhoid? The form concluded requesting my home number or a phone booth where I could be reached. Well, anyway, if Dad asked, I could honestly say I'd made the effort, and if he asked particulars, the questions I would give him, he'd know I wasn't just making it up. Well, who knew how long it would take to check my answers, so after dinner, I headed up to Strainy's on Ralston. It was Friday night. Five of us had decided to play poker upstairs in Dan's room. Chips and cash were changing ownership after every hand. Then came a call up the stairwell from Dan's mom. Marty, your mom's on the phone. My first thought was an unsettling one. What could have happened that would prompt her to call me on my poker night? Actually, it could have been anything. And she was unaware of my growing gambling habit, but she knew the places I could be. She had guessed right, and so I took the phone downstairs and heard her say, Randy from the pizza place wants you to come work tonight, as soon as you can get there, and make sure you have gas in your car. The matter-of-fact way she told me the news was a major departure from the apprehensions that she'd shared with Dad when I had earlier arrived home announcing the possible opportunity. But Dad had convinced her, or at least somewhat alleviated her fears of possible robbery, auto accident, to say nothing of my association with the unsavory types like the ones who usually delivered pizzas to us when we ordered. Not sure what he said to assuage her uncertainties, but her message now was delivered without hesitancy. So after cashing in my chips, telling Strainy Mills, Coltrane, and Ward where I was headed, I put about a half a tank of gas in my now delivery vehicle. I mean, I only had a couple of bucks. And then I stopped by the house for one last chance for Mom to offer wise counsel and warnings. Then off I went, only a few hours since I'd made the application. Surely they'd not had time to check the veracity of my application responses, but nonetheless, I was entering the often faceless workforce of those providing sustenance to hungry gatherings across the northeast side. Randy's to your door pizza launched in 1959, was rapidly getting name among those who knew their pizza to be of a top choice, and while business was only a few years old, he had already, in some ways, cornered the market in the burgeoning pizza joint industry, vying for a slice, get it, a slice of the Italian foodstuffs orders. He'd accomplished it because of his low prices, fresh ingredients, and quick free delivery, and that's why I was called. I was needed on a hectic Friday night to provide one more conveyance for his fleet of vehicles that would crisscross the boulevards, avenues, and streets on routes formed at the last minute at the shop's counter, organized to get the most into a large area in the quickest way. I walked into the parlor among walk-in patrons and caught the eye of the only one that I recognized. It was Randy, who immediately left his post preparing the pies for baking to give me a crash course in the details of my tasks and responsibilities for the night. 
Other drivers were coming and going. Another cook stepped into the place vacated by Randy. As drivers behind him boxed up pizzas warming on top of the two ovens, selecting their routes in such a way that might generate the most tips. Then they headed for their cars with their stacks of precious cargo, hopefully returning in short order to do it all again. And in between the phone ringing and ingredients being replenished and questions asked to the boss, I was issued a cash bag filled with a variety of coins and dollar bills for making change. I was told to count it for accuracy because that was the amount that I would give back first when checking out at the end of the night. My name would go on the order form that would stay in the shop, and I would settle up the total of all I delivered over the evening for cash selected over the hours from the various homes. I would be paid $1.25 an hour, cash, plus a nickel a pizza for gas. And this was a pizza, not an address. And of course... I could keep all my tips. Randy said those could be lucrative if I was quick and accurate with the delivery of my warm product. I was then led to a growing array of pizzas atop the ovens of all sizes, some single addresses, other multiples going to one address, and I needed to check the ticket for that info plus the all-important address. As I became more familiar, I would recognize the street names and numbers and be able to rapidly gather several that would comprise my journey. Beneath the ovens on shelves were the reusable corrugated cardboard boxes, one size fitting all size pizzas, small, medium, large, 10 inch, 12 inch, or 14 inch. Only the white paper bags, closed and stapled, that held the flat cardboard circle that the pizza crust rested on actually went to the door. And these were placed one to a box for delivery and arranged according to travel plans. Being new to the effort, I had to check the large city map on the wall for street names. Now, Dad knew that that would be a liability for my early evenings of delivery, so he had given me his gas company book of maps to refer to in the car under the glare of the gas company flashlight that could also be used to shine on mailboxes and sides of homes to locate elusive addresses and maybe even be a deterrent to aggressive dogs. Now, apprehensively, I was on my way. Pizzas on the front seat passenger side Lids of the boxes opening away from me so I could check my next delivery even as I drove. Randy was breaking me in gently. The veterans were going out with five or six or even more to destinations miles from the hub of the to-your-door shop, even close to the boundaries of the over 15 square miles of territory that Randy's store serviced. My first addresses were all close. There were only four of them. I actually had a little trouble. I had traveled many of these streets on my bicycle, and my paper routes had made me aware of others. So I was back in the store probably before he really expected me to be. My previous collection efforts as a self-employed news carrier also had given me a decent sense of making change, only now, of course, on a grander scale. All this to say that I caught on to the gist of the pizza delivery industry rather quickly. As a result... I fell into the hustle and bustle of selecting pizzas for my next run, boxing them in order of delivery, placing the order tickets in my alligator clip and on the nail in the back of the front counter, and was out the door with less and less instruction from Randy between each arrival and departure. I think I totaled seven, maybe eight runs 
before the phones were shut off and the two-year door was closed for business, and that was about midnight. When I cashed out at the end of the night, I was really rather pleased. My delivery tickets matched order tickets, and after compiling the total for about 20 or 25 pies, that was about $75 that I was paying out of my cash bag. I also replaced the coin and the currency given for change-making at the first of the night, and then receiving from Randy a nickel for each pizza, which would be the fuel rate, I counted the fruit of my labor. $1.25 an hour times five hours plus $1.25 gas reimbursement, and that alone was enough for four gallons if Dad didn't continue to let me use the marathon card as he had in the past. And the tips reached almost $5. Wow, over $12 for less than five hours of actual travel time. And that, along with the conversation and the friendly banter among the delivery team, and of course the wise counsel sprinkled with life lessons and experiences, solicited or not by Randy and his head cook Jack, made for a pretty pleasant work environment. I had proven generally capable, and that, along with the dearth of reliable, long-lasting employees, it meant I eventually could work as many nights as I chose. Well, as long as the Plymouth stayed in brakes and tires, I could clock in any evening I chose. I seldom worked on Sunday evenings, choosing to attend CYF Youth Group, and often I asked for Wednesday night off to participate in church youth activities at East 49th Street Christian Church's Night of Light. On more than a few occasions, I would arrive home after a church function to have Mom say, Randy or Jack called, and could I come in to finish the night? And that meant about 11 after checkout, and then Fridays and Saturdays closer to 1 a.m. And what this schedule also required was my creative use of my senior class schedule. I had already proven with my Morning Star paper route that I did not burn the candle at both ends very well. That issue, though, was minimized by the class load I had in my last year of high school. Broad Ripple required every student to attend the school campus the entire school day, 8.30 to 3.15, eight 40-minute periods plus lunch and passing times. And by the time I reached my fourth year of high school, I only had required core courses, and that meant the counselor added to my load, so I was there the whole day, three study halls, one hall monitor assignment, and two lunches to my school day. Now, I'll talk more about those school days in an upcoming number of the TPC episodes. To complete the thought here, though, just suffice it to say, it meant that I did all my homework at school, if I had much at all, and I slept hard during first period study hall. I was a gainfully employed high school student approaching young adulthood, in age anyway, and I was taking pride in my ability to purchase my clothes at Glendale Mall and not Sears and Penny's catalogs or worse, Jubilee City. I even had spending cash if I ever had a night away from the 42nd and college workplace. All in all, I was enjoying a different view of the northeast side of Indianapolis, even if only from porches and looking into front doors at the variety of homes and households during the exchange of food and funds. What I discovered? Not all families were like the ones on Primrose. But it still heightened my appreciation for the diversity and its strength that made my town what it was. 
and you might say that I rose through the ranks of the delivery team, usually getting the most pizzas out during my shift. This came in no small part to my approach to the delivery itinerary. I learned to travel by back streets with the fewest number of stop signs and four-way halts, but always preferring them over traffic lights. I needed only to pause at a red octagon until cross-traffic had cleared and then simply rolling through those that usually required all approaching to stop. Why wait a minute or longer for a green light when there was no traffic impeding your crossing if you went? I also attempted, wherever possible, to make entrance onto new streets by a right-hand turn rather than the left, needing only to worry about one direction of traffic rather than two. I also could hasten the actual delivery by my growing awareness of the order of streets by name from east to west and the location of circles and courts and ways that were short in their length and usually entered only from one or two cross streets. Many of my deliveries were from regular customers, so I knew exactly their location. Some even requested me for a variety of reasons. The addresses I did not recognize by their place on the street, I could guess at, knowing, again by experience, the likely progression of numbers ascending or descending by fours or sixes or eights or tens, even numbers on the west and north side of the street, and east and south side registering the odd numbers. Upon my arrival at the residence, I quickly checked the address on the delivery ticket once again and then did one more thing that would speed my time up at the door itself. I also checked the amount owed and placing in my right pocket the exact change that might be needed should I receive the amount in all bills and also have a few bills on the ready should they pay with a 5 or a 10. Leaving the engine running, I put the manual transmission into neutral, set the parking brake, and up I went, usually returning in mere minutes before I went on to the next stop. No doubt such service was a major reason for Randy's two-year-door pizza to be able to open a second store closer to downtown on Massachusetts Street, leaving head cook Jack to manage my employment at the college location. It was during that time that Randy discovered during a conference of pizzeria owners in Chicago, a new weapon in the growing pizza wars created by more and more pizza joints springing up in competition. It was the conversion of a Cushman three-wheeled scooter mounted with a double-sided warming oven on the back. It could be painted for advertising purposes, and its racks could hold multiple six-inch personal pizzas prepared at the store and placed in two paper plate containers stapled together. It seemed genius. And Randy took the plunge, and with the approval of his wife, Marcia, ordered the mini panel truck that would usher in the next era of pizza delivery. The motorized tricycle arrived in the early spring of 1965, and Randy selected me to be its driver for part of each evening that I worked Monday through Friday. I made regular runs in my car until about 7.30 nightly, and during that time, in addition to phone orders and walk-ins, a single baker created dozens of the snacks, some topped only with cheese, others with sausage, others with pepperoni, and still others with a combination. These were then stacked in the warming ovens, and I drove the night shipment onto the campus of Butler University, two miles due west of the shop 
Parking outside the college library on 46th Street, just inside the east entrance to the school, which was the main drag for the evening campus life. As co-eds and couples left the confines of study for the night, I was there in my trusty Cushman, offering a variety of pizzas for individual consumption or sharing with a friend or study partner. Most nights, a line formed to pick up one of those choices, which sold from between 60 cents and a dollar until I ran out of my cargo. Now, should my oven not be empty by about nine when the library closed, I'd drive further into the campus and park on Sorority Fraternity Road to tempt the Greeks with my leftovers. No longer fresh, but still warm. Seldom did I return to the shop with anything left in the warming ovens. I was still paid for this venture and still received a nickel of pizza even though I didn't pay for the scooter gas. It was understood that I would receive little or no tips from these sales, and that was certain as I got into it. Earlier in this series, I spoke of a new season TPC episode where I took this wagon across town to sell to Indy 500 patrons the night before the big race in May. I did that once as a high school senior, and once again when I got home from college in 1966, before I began summer work at CG and CUCO, again with a lead from my dad. After only a few months, I was becoming a renaissance man when it came to the world of all things pizza. I had learned enough lingo and the numbers to answer the phones and to take an order accurately. I learned to slice the blocks of mozzarella cheese, open the large cans of contadina tomato paste, cut the onions and bell peppers, stir the sausage simmering on a burner in the back, move all those items to their various containers in the counter. I even removed a pizza or two from the oven if counteractivity kept the baker from doing it himself. I did enough to know that this wouldn't be my ideal career, but still, it felt good to feel competent. Well, apparently I was considered capable by others, capable enough to even be shared with the other pizza place downtown on Massachusetts Avenue. Randy was now there full-time, and Jack, who had been the second baker when I first joined the team, now was the north side manager, and would in a few years buy Randy out and make it his Jack's to-your-door pizza. I hated being told when I got to work that Randy needed me down at the Massachusetts store. Delivering to your door south of 38th Street was a nightmare. There were many one-way streets, some of them crossing diagonal streets, others dead-ending into rivers and creeks requiring an awareness of street direction and the bridges. There were streets without their counterpart north of 38th Street, meaning I had to learn many new street names and locations. There were also more duplexes and apartments and flag lots with street numbers that were indicated with fractions like 1310 and a half. In addition to neighborhoods being unfamiliar, tips were fewer and warnings were greater about the dangers in some of those neighborhoods. To that last point, I was often told to leave part of my evening collections at the Massachusetts store before going out on a run in a particular direction, just in case. Randy, an old sailor, even offered some offhanded instruction on actions to take in case a customer became threatening. Of course, he said, just wanted to offer a defensive option, not that it would ever happen. Except there was a night that it did happen. 
And even in my fearful state, it protected me from personal harm. And it's the story I conclude this episode with. It was again a Friday night, and Randy had requested my presence and my car downtown. I don't recall any early encounters in the night that would warrant any relating, but it was about 9 o'clock when I was sent out to deliver a family-sized pizza to an address on Washington Street, not to be confused with Washington Boulevard. Washington Boulevard ran north and south a few streets east of the main north-south thoroughfare meridian. Washington Street in Indy was what U.S. maps called Highway 40, the national highway that ran from Atlantic City, New Jersey to San Francisco, California, and had since the late 1800s. Its intersection with Meridian, the major north-south that ran between borders of Mexico and Canada, a block south of Monument Circle, had earned the Hoosier capital the nickname Crossroads of America. Anyway, this particular delivery was on the north side of Washington, east of Meridian. So I turned off the key, hurried across the sidewalk, and into the open door of what appeared by the wall hangings and a single table with a cloth, an inverted fishbowl, and cards that were not of the 52-deck variety, to be a fortune-telling setup. Just inside, I was met by an older gentleman with a thick accent who quickly got down to business, and it was dodgy from the start. With me holding a large, loaded specialty pizza with everything on it, including anchovies, I can still smell them. He made a frank admission. He didn't have the money to pay for what he had ordered, but he had a proposition. If I'd like to spend some time with his daughter in the back, we might just call it even. Now, this was way beyond my experience level, and I began rambling as to how I needed to pay for the pizza when I got back, and in simple terms, I just couldn't accept the invitation, regardless of what his daughter looked like, but assuring him that I was certain she was a beauty. All the while, I was taking baby steps toward the door. Unfortunately, before I reached the opening, he reached out, took the pizza from me, and at the same time grabbed a stiletto-type knife that I had not seen before from the counter, and waved it menacingly at me, not even offering me an opportunity to flee without the pizza. In my mind, I was certain I was about to come to my demise right there on US-40. That was probably not, in fact, the case, but to this older teen, lacking in world experience, it seemed very likely. At that point, the few moments of training that I had gotten from my old sailor boss, Randy, floated into my awareness. It was apparently something he had learned on shore leave in some foreign country, and to that point, I had never practiced it. I never figured I'd have to, but now I had such a moment, and that was when survival mode took over. With a false air of bravado, remember at six foot five, I had size on my side, even though I was bespeckled. Anyway, I said something to the effect, okay, you've got me, but how about I flip you for it? Heads, the pizza's yours. Tails, you pay me. What do you say? He still held the knife and apparently felt he had nothing to lose. Even if it was Tails, he still had control of the situation. So he nodded, silently agreeing to the terms. Well, like Randy had advised, I was carrying a newly minted Kennedy half dollar in a coin pocket in my jeans all by itself. So I reached in and I took it out. I am ashamed to say that I don't remember praying even though that would have certainly been appropriate. 
I was in too much of a hurry, wondering if this was really going to work or would it just go horribly wrong. Those of you who remember my run-in with the Jackson brothers back in episode 3 recall my admission then that I was more of a lover than a fighter and, truth be told, not much of either for that matter. Anyway, with the wager of a free pizza or its cost in the balance, I flipped the coin up in the air over our heads, waiting for it to come down heads or tails. But I was waiting for no such thing. As the coin floated up and my knife-wielding customer watched it, I reared back and I struck my would-be assailant with all my might, closed fist, flush on his chin. Like Randy said, hit him hard, you won't get a second chance. I had. And just like Randy had also said, he went down like a sack of potatoes, dropping his precious pizza at his side. That was all I saw as I backed quickly out the door, ran across the sidewalk, jumped in my plinth, turned the key, pushed the starter button, and sped away. The scene of my near-death experience in my rearview mirror growing ever smaller, and then disappearing as I turned the corner onto Illinois Street to begin my circle back to Randy's two-year-door pizza on Massachusetts. By the time I arrived there and parked, I was shaking almost uncontrollably. I walked in. Apparently as white as the work t-shirt I wore as a two-year door employee. And as Randy got the story out of me, he also was calling the police. I was told later that Indianapolis's finest had paid the parlor a visit, offering them another opportunity. Get out of town or get run into jail on a variety of charges, many unrelated to my run-in with them. They apparently chose the former and I never saw them again. I was done working for that night, and I also never was part of the Massachusetts delivery fleet again. I returned to the routes that originated at 42nd College, and Randy never called for me to go down there again. But now, I was wiser and more grizzled, and the subject of pizza delivery folklore with those who had the simple task of navigating the districts of Broderpool and Shortridge and Butler and the like. The use of my singular self-defense move never again came into play, although I never left the shop without a Kennedy half dollar. And hearing my story, many of the younger drivers took similar measures. I told Dad about what had happened later during one of the late nights when I came home from work and he was still up. In those times, it was just him and me sitting in the living room watching a John Wayne movie and enjoying a pizza that he had perhaps ordered, or I just brought home the result of a prank call or an incorrect order. Not sure if he ever told Mom, but he didn't keep much from her. At any rate, I told her many years later of my use of a Kennedy half dollar, and she was still appalled, as if she was hearing it for the first time. You know, it's been fun thinking back on the events of that year before I headed off for the experiences of higher education, and I really appreciate you listening in. From this story, I'll be backtracking in my chronicles, or at least filling in the blanks with narratives earlier in my formative years. Maybe I'll move into a series of podcasts that focus on my college experiences in East Tennessee and call it Buffalo Chronicles. But because stories like I just shared conjure up a lot of other tales for now, I think I'll keep parking on Primrose Lane, or Primrose Avenue, and packing up the car with warm memories boxed for future telling. And 
and you won't even have to pick up your phone and place an order to have it delivered. Not sure you want another episode? What do you say I flip you for it? Blessings.